one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament in the Gospels, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, especially the first 14 verses. I want to go through a few of the verses, not all of the 14 verses. I want to talk about Jesus Christ as the Word of God. The Bible says Jesus was the Word, Lagos. He's the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Before the beginning of time and created existence, Jesus was there. Sometimes when we think of Christmas, we think of a little baby in a manger, vulnerable, small, couldn't talk. You know, we think of something weak. But Christ came anything but weak. Anything but weak. John 5, 8, 58, he, he said of himself, before Abraham was, I am. The Bible says when they heard him say that, they took up stones to stone him. Why did they do that? Because they knew he was referring back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where Moses said, well, who shall I say sent me to release the children of Israel out of the grip of the Egyptians? He says, well, say, I am the I am, the eternal existent one, no beginning, no end, God. And Jesus said when he was pressed on the point, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Since Jesus was before, some logic to go through here, since Jesus was before all created things, he is uncreated. Since uncreated, he is eternal. We know this from the Bible. Since eternal, then he is God, a very God. He was with the Father before the, the world or the universe or the known galaxies or anything the Hubble telescope looks at was created. In John chapter 17, verse 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which we had, which I had with thee before the world was. In verse 24, that 17th chapter, which is the high priestly prayer chapter, it's one of the longest prayers of the Bible. It's one of the most magnificent, maybe is the most magnificent prayer of the whole Bible where Jesus communes with the Father and lets us in on it, lets us hear what he has to say. Verse 24 says, Father, I will that thou also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. This baby Jesus who came in the form of man came so that we could understand him. The Bible says in the beginning was the word. What is a word? A word relates a thought, an idea. People had an idea of some idea maybe who God is. He's invisible to us. But Jesus as a word is the manifestation and express, expression of the otherwise unseen, unknowable God. John 1.18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. If you are to know God, it will be in knowing Jesus Christ. In John 14, 9, Jesus said, and Philip said, show us the Father. He says, how long have I been with you <laughs> and you're not knowing me, 
Philip, he that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? If you go to Hebrews chapter 1, maybe it's clear anywhere in the New Testament, he is the very image of the invisible God. No man can come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say ways. I know there's a popular view out there that there are many ways to heaven. The Muslims, you can go to heaven, and the Hindus, you may go to heaven, and other variants of religion out there, and there's hundreds of them, you may go to heaven, but that's not what Jesus said, clearly and for sure. He said, I am the Word. I am the one to communicate who the Father is to you, to the world. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You say, well, I don't believe that's true. Then you're calling Jesus a liar. Either he was liar or he was crazy or he was Lord. I believe he was Lord. There are cults out there sometimes want to make out like Jesus is a created being, a, a secondary God. A, I call it a sub-God. Jesus is no sub-God, but God of very God, the fullness of deity in human body. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says it this way, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's the, that's the clearest statement I know in the New Testament about the deity of Christ. The fullness of the Godhead bodily. In 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul said with the Holy Spirit, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Going to verse 3 through 5 of, of that passage I told you about in John chapter 1. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Anything's a big word, isn't it? In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. God testifies who he is through creation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, if you look later, that we could spend a bunch of time on Romans 1, what a, verse 18 through 32, what a passage of Scripture. Man, wow. The creation testifies of God. A red bird is red because God wanted him to be red. A songbird sings that song, gener by the way, generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. They sing their beautiful song. Because God wanted them to sing the beautiful song. Squirrels are squirrels because God wants them to be squirrels. Their job is to bury nuts. Plant forests. I moved out 10 miles, I live 10 miles inland off Corsco Road on a desolate piece of five acres. It was scrub land, they call it. Bought it cheap because nobody wanted it. 10 land, really palm. You know, pines and palmettos, that's it. That's all that will grow out there. So I started planting oak trees, and since I moved out there, I planted probably 100 and 150 trees. Those oak trees have gotten big now, and they produce acorns, and guess what the squirrels do? They're, they do their job. They plant. 
if, if I told my wife, if we just let this thing go from here out, this place would have be total oak trees. Oak, oak trees are growing everywhere. They've planted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of nuts, and they plant them just about right, two and a half inches down. You say, do does squirrels ever remember where their stuff is? Not much. Colossians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God the world, by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. When Jesus came and became incarnate in human form, it was something we could understand, something we could touch, handle, speak to, eat with, suffer with, reason with the apostles. That's why Jesus had to come. Men were just not getting it through the creation, through the stars and the moon and the sun. Instead of thinking, man, God made no, they'd worship the sun and worship the moon and worship the stars and worship the animals and the four-footed beasts. Rather than saying there's a God, surely a God, surely an intelligent God must have made all of this. Surely all this has not accidentally happened, just fallen its way out. Believing that would be like a 747 just accidentally put itself together. Your car didn't accidentally put itself together. Nothing puts itself together. There is no evolution. It's one of the greatest lies ever perpetrated upon mankind and is perpetrated to deny the Bible's first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens, and the earth. And if that verse is not true, then John 3.16 may not be true where it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I believe it's true. I believe real true science also reaffirms that the world was created. And there's an intelligence, a phenomenal intelligence behind the design of it all, intricacy of it all, the complexity of it all, the largeness of it all, the smallness of it all is all of God. You know, we're trying to make robots, right? They're talking about making robots, and they show these robots on TV like they're something special. They're horrible. They're horrible. They can't hardly do anything. You know, I mean, imagine every little animal you see out there is God's created robot. They have a program and they fulfill their program. But they don't only fulfill their program, they propagate on their own without you. And then they uh, heal when they get hurt. They heal on their own. My squirrel, one of my favorite squirrels in my house, um, we've run over her twice. My wife ran over her once, which I was my golf cart, and I said, oh, Kathy, man, you should have paid attention more. You know, I said, I can't believe you did that. She felt so bad about it. Then I ran over <laughs> I told you so. Well, those are tough. I ran over, and I felt so bad about it. Man, I thought, I've run over. How could I do that? Then she healed up after that, and she came back and something grabbed her back leg and took it out of joint. She was crippling around, and I thought, oh, well, she's not going to be long for this world. She healed up. 
Some grabbed one of her front feet and smashed it. And some, you know, we had animals, predators where I live. We have cougars. We have every kind of predator, bobcats, fox, coyotes. And it grabbed her foot, and I thought, well, that'll be the end of it. She healed up over that. In fact, she's looked, I saw her today. She looks better than I've seen her in a long time. <laughs> I call her a squirrel with nine lives. Don't take that for granted. My God, the God, the Word of God designed that squirrel in prototype and gave it its program, and gave it its ability to self-heal and self-propagate, and know what food to eat, know what food not to eat. God did all that. You'd think that men would say, there's a God, there has to be a God. But, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. But, you know, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They began to worship the stuff. It was terrible. And Jesus finally came. And he came as one of us. And he walked among us. And he could relate to us. We have night, it says in Hebrews 4.15, a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. When we go to Christ and say, oh God, I'm Lord Jesus, I'm suffering. He knows what you're talking about. You say, oh, Lord, I need some sleep. I haven't slept in days. He knows what you're talking about. When you say, Lord Jesus, I'm hungry. I'm not having food. He knows what you're talking about. When you cry and weep over some loss or hardship, he knows what you're talking about. He wept. He's related to us where we can understand him. It was a better way. The old devil was blinding, binding, and grinding us into the ground. But but when Christ came, we had one like us we could understand. Christ sets men free through love and truth. How do we know that Christianity is right? Because it's the only major religion that has is based on love, received as a free gift, whose founder was declared God manifest in the flesh, and then was raised from the dead with substantial witness and testimony. Over 500 people at one time. Romans 4.25 says, Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I ask you a question tonight. Are you justified in the sight of God? Now, if you don't know what that word means, you need to find out what that word means. It means declared not guilty. It's when a judge... Uh, when, when you go before a court and they, and they examine all the evidence and you find you innocent, he hits the man and says, not guilty. Now, you can't be not guilty. You know you're not guilty. You know you're guilty. The only way you'll be not guilty is if Jesus Christ is allowed to take your sins upon himself and to be your substitute. The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. Do you believe it tonight? It's not just some more words that you're you're hearing or some, it's reality. I like in verse 11 through 14 of John, it says, He came into his own, his own received him not. 
which was many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You believe Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God tonight? Your future, location, is will be determined by whether you understand Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself. God, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is the light, it says in 1 John, in fact, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Everybody that ever comes in the world, the Holy Spirit comes by at one time or another and lets you see Jesus and lets you understand you have a need and then lets you understand that you can't face God with the sin that you've had in your life and the disobediences and thoughts and all the other stuff that comes. You're not going to do well facing God with those things and you need a substitute. You need an advocate. You need somebody to propitiate those sins. Jesus Christ came and died on the old rugged cross and the Father accepted him as our sacrifice and he sealed it by the resurrection. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Well, you got to do a little bit more than believe. You have to receive. 112 says, But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. I tell people, people believe sometimes in Jesus like you believe in historical figures. You know what I'm saying? Like you believe there was a Hitler. Well, that's a historical figure. That doesn't do you any good whether whether he was or wasn't, but you believe he was an actual historical figure. Uh, You believe maybe one of the the Roman emperors, the, the, the Nero and all them were real people. Okay, that's wonderful. The kind of belief the Bible is talking about is not just believing that Jesus was a real person at one time in history and he, he was born and he, ra- he lived and he died. It's believing that he was the very son of God sent to die for your sins. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. My wish for you tonight is that you would live, that you would live, I'm talking eternally live. For the Christian, death is just but a door you go through. He said in verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God's the one who births us. And the word was made flesh and dwell among us as we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why his identity is so important. They crucified Jesus because of who he said he was. Not because of healing the sick and raising the dead and and creating food for hungry people and walking on water and, and, and helping blind people see and deaf people hear. That's not why they crucified Christ. They crucified Christ because he said he was God. In no uncertain terms, before the Pharisees and Sadducees, he said that they ripped 
at the trial, at his trial, they ripped their clothes and said, what more have we need we witness? We've heard his blasphemies. They thought he was lying. He was blaspheming. They didn't understand. They had a small God. They had God put in a little box that had to act a certain way and be a certain way. And when God came outside of that box, they wouldn't accept it. They hardened their heart. And they crucified the Lord of glory. Man. They missed him. I don't know about you, when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, my heart is broken at the people that are so close to Christ. They're hearing him teach. They're seeing his miracles. And they miss him. They make up some other objection and miss him. Don't you miss him? If he's God, then I owe him everything. I owe him my life, my service, my loyalty, my devotion, my all. I should believe in him if he is who he said he was. I should believe totally and absolutely. I should trust him no matter what comes temporarily on my life, no matter what hardships may come on my life. I'll never get bitter at him or upset with him because I know all things work together for good to them that love God and are the call according to his purpose. Everybody wanted to know who Jesus was. Everybody had a question in their mind. The crowds around Jesus wanted to know. They said, is he a prophet? Is he Messiah? Is he just another great man that's come along? The religious leaders wanted to know. They said, is he Beelzebub? Is he a fraud? Who is he? All the way to the very trial of Jesus, they kept asking him the same question. Who are you? He kept telling them. Well, what authority did you do these things? Who is your father? The disciples, the apostles wanted to know. When he calmed the sea, they asked, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey his will? They began to get the idea of who he was, that he was God manifest in the flesh. Pilate, man, Pilate, Pilate, stood before the Messiah, questioned him. John 18, 33, and Pilate entered in the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus often didn't talk to, he didn't talk to Herod when he was sent to Herod. He didn't talk to Herod at all. Herod didn't deserve to be talked to. Herod was such a wicked individual. But Pilate wasn't. He was a Gentile. And Jesus began to talk to him. He says in Luke 23, 37, if, if, and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself, the crowd cried. The centurion that crucified Jesus, he crucified hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people. He'd seen them die. He saw the way they acted when death was in face to face with them. He said when the centurion was stood over against him, saw that he had cried, he gave up and he gave up the ghost that is Jesus this, the old centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. Eyewitness of man, as close to it as you're going to be. Herod wanted to know and thought he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. The whole city of Jerusalem in the triumphal entry cried, who is this? The Gospel of John answers it this way, but the, in John chapter 20, verse 31, and if you don't have, I know it's dark and you don't, can't maybe see good, but when you get out of here, John chapter 20, verse 31, it is the theme 
of the book of the Gospel of John. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you might have life through his name. That's it. That's why the Bible's written. The Bible's written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that you may receive him as your personal Savior and Lord. And then when you trust Christ and the Holy Spirit will come in and seal you, the Bible calls it being born from above or being born again, God himself will be in you, the hope of glory, and things in your life will change. From that moment on, they'll begin to change. Man, if you could have seen me as a teenager and how crummy and rotten and dirty and filthy I was as a teenager, doper. Oh, God's been merciful to me. Peter confessed him. Peter says, Peter, who do you say that I am? He said, I believe thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, ooh, flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven revealed it unto thee. God wants you to see it. He's here for you today. He's, he's, he's moving upon you. He's talking to you as a, as a still, small voice he comes. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Did Jesus exist? Really, yes. Well, I can go back in history and say Josephus in 37, historian said he did. I can go back in history from 14 AD to 68 AD, a man by Tacitus, a Roman historian, says he did. This is outside the Bible. Another man, a historian, a Roman historian in the second century mentions Jesus and said he existed. And the New Testament is a New Testament account of Jesus' reliable preacher. Well, all I can tell you is if the New Testament is not reliable, then there's no secular document that you use or ever have studied that is reliable. I took a course in college. The title of the course was Shakespeare. I read every one of Shakespeare's plays in their original language, as well as Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you read Pilgrim's Progress in the original language. It's quite a trip. We took Shakespeare. And all oh, the woman who taught Shakespeare, was a, it was a professor, Ph.D. She knew Shakespeare forward and backward, side to side, and she was absolutely sure the plays were real, and this was what we were reading was Shakespeare. And I, mean, I liked, she was a born-again Christian. She understood the deal. But she said, if the Bible's not true, Shakespeare's not even close to being true. Homer is not true or reliable if the Bible's not true. The New Testament has so much manuscript evidence and redundancy that other historical documents, if the Bible's not true, none of them are true. If it's not accurate, none of them are accurate. Nothing else has a documentation of the Word of God. We're not a bunch of crazy, weak-in-the-mind people who just want to have a God and make a God because we feel like we got to have a God. We're people of, of, of logical, clear thinking. I mean, if this isn't true, I want to know it. I spent my whole time reading through this book. I read critical articles about the book and 
attacks upon the book uh, and its reliability. I want to know all the arguments around the Bible because I don't want to stake my life on something that's not true. And I don't think you do either. I just turned 72 yesterday, and I can tell you the Bible's true from the years I've been able to live and study it and look at it. We have 8,000 hand copies, hand copies of the New Testament in Latin Vulgate. We got 2,000 manuscripts of the New Testament in other languages. We got 4,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. We have 14,000 available sources against a handful of classical writers. There is no ancient document. It even comes close to the Bible's manuscript evidence Period. You say, I don't believe what you say tonight. Well, you get a book called Evidence of the Man's Verdict by Josh McDowell, and you study it. Let's give it a reading, and I believe you'll change your mind. There's no reason for you not to believe what these words of the Bible are absolute, reliable words spoken by the Lord himself. No informed person, and I say that carefully, no informed person, no honestly educated person will doubt the accuracy of the New Testament based on literary criticism. They're not going to do it. They would have to be dishonest to disbelieve it. Most people reject Christianity not because of the facts, but because they want to. It bothers them that their lives may have to change. The Bible is clear at presenting Jesus as the very Son of God, deity, God manifests in the flesh, the creator of all that is, the master and Lord of all, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of lords, the fullness of the Godhead bodily, the express image of God, the I am, the King of kings, the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's just a sampling of what the Bible says he is. The miracles that he did substantiated his identity. The fulfilled Bible prophecy, my, I haven't even mentioned, I won't have no time tonight to mention fulfilled Bible prophecy. There is no other holy book or book considered holy in the world that has ever even close to the prophecy the Bible has in it. 30% of the Bible's prophecy, 50% of that has been fulfilled exactly, literally, as it's been spoken. The Bible says Jesus would have his beard plucked out of his head. A thousand B.C., he had his beard plucked out. Said they would gather around his cross like dogs. It says in the Psalm, thousand B.C., that they were gathered and they gathered around. It even says what words Jesus was going to say from the cross. How could you possibly, you, that cannot be coincidence. There are just too many things. One person has said there's over 300 prophecies of Christ that were fulfilled in his life, literally. If God became man, you could expect some things. You could, you could expect some things. What would those be? An unusual entrance into life if God became man? Well, I would say the virgin birth was unusual. You would expect the one to come, God manifest in the flesh, would be without sin. And Jesus said, who are you that convicteth me of sin? You would expect them to have supernatural power. There's 34 recorded supernatural miracles in the Bible, in the New Testament. You would expect accurate sense of, of his difference, or excuse me, an acute sense 
of his difference. When Jesus walked among people, they knew something. He was different somehow. There's something different about him. Who is this man? He would, he, would have an, he would have a lasting and universal influence. And here we are, 2023. He was crucified, 32. He was crucified, I believe, April 6th, 32 A.D. And here we are at 2023, and we're having a service tonight all over the world and on, Christmas, on Christmas Eve. They're having services as the sun moves around and as they come into their time. All around the world, they're having services about this Jesus Christ. You would expect that if God manifests himself in the flesh, wouldn't you? You would expect if God manifests himself in the flesh that he could satisfy spiritual hunger. And millions and millions have testified that God has given them, through Jesus Christ has given them peace. I testify. How many in here tonight testify the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation has given you peace? Yeah. Yeah. They all lying? You would expect if God was manifest in the flesh that he could exercise power over death. You would expect if God was manifest in the flesh that he would speak great words, maybe the greatest words ever spoken. And are there any more quoted words of any ancient person that lived than the Lord Jesus Christ? Here we are quoting him tonight, and he's quoted all over the world, and every week and every Wednesday night and Sunday he's quoted. I mean, we're not quoting uh, Caesar Augustus, and we're not quoting Nero, which at one time were big shots. We're not quoting... Uh, Genghis Khan, which was a big shot at one time, or Alexander the Great, which was a big shot at one time. Uh, very few, if any people, ever quote them anymore, but they're quoting Jesus. You would expect that if God was manifest in the flesh. Who fulfilled in history prophecy like Jesus? No one. Who claimed resurrection with so many witnesses? No one except Jesus, whose words have been published as Jesus' words have been published. No one, no one, even close. I did a study one time on how many, the Bible and its publication. And I couldn't believe, I just couldn't even believe when I started saying, you can, get, you can Google me, you can fact check me, you can get on there and look this for yourself. How many Bibles have been printed? And then how many, uh, how many uh, Shakespeare plays have been printed or whatever famous person that you believe? The Bible's up here. And everything else is way down here. There's no book in the world been printed and reproduced. Why do you think there's such an urgency to reproduce this book by God's people? Because they believe experientially by their personal testimony that this is true. And let me say this, if I was a researcher in medical profession and I was looking for the cure to cancer, I have cancer. I've had cancer and I have cancer. And I'm going to tell you, it'd be, it'd be a thrill for me if somebody came up with a, with a silver bullet. You know, take this little pill, boom, it's over. Take this vaccine, boom, it's over. And no more cancer. 
They kill all cancer. No more cancer. Whoa! Well, that'd be a day you should give gifts one to another, go out and, and, and have, a, have a meal together and have fun because there's a lot of suffering involved around cancer. But if I came up the cure for cancer, think about it. If I was a researcher and I, I stumbled across the silver bullet, the one, the thing that could cure cancer flat out, and I kept it to myself, what would you think of me? You say, well, you'd be a monster to allow suffering to go on like that. We born-again believers have found the cure for sin, death, and the grave. You would expect us to want to go around and put little gospel tracks in your car and make you upset. Come by, your, come by your door on Saturdays and wake you up if you're third shift. Wake you up and say, hey, I'm coming by to share. The you would expect people that have the cure for their soul salvation to be zealous about that, and they would want to tell other people about it. Our evangelistic spirit, the desire that we want to print this book and have you read it, the desire that we want to put out tracts and have you read them, the desire that we want to explain the gospel and have you saved, is just natural with a group of people who honestly, sincerely believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died for you, and that you can have salvation by repentance and faith in him. What kind of a monster would I be if I didn't want to spread the good news? That's why it's called the gospel, the good news. Our Spanish church adopted our name. We have a Spanish church adopted our name. Iglesia Bautista, Buenos Nuevas, good news. They said, I asked Pastor Vicente when he started the church, I said, what are you going to call it? And he says, I want to call it Gospel Baptist Church. And I said, it was he said, but there's no word in Spanish for gospel. It doesn't translate across. He says, but I, gospel means good news, so it's buenas nuevas. He says, we'll just call it Iglesia Batista, Baptist Church, good news. Good news, Baptist Church. You know, Spanish puts the verbs and the nouns in different places than we do. They're wrong, we're right. You go to Spanish people and say, what language are you going to speak in heaven? They say, Spanish, what do you think? You go to English people, they're going to speak English. Well, what, and you go to Hebrew, what are they going to say? Hebrew, well, Hebrew is way before all of us. All I know is when, I, when Jesus speaks, I'm going to understand what it is, and that's what I need to know. Are you saved tonight? Do you know Christ? If you'll confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou, you, shall be saved. Father in heaven, come, we pray. Thank you for this celebration of the birth of the Christ, the Savior of the world, if they believe. Father in heaven, please work, and I know you are, and I know you will. For you're the one that was, that is, and is to come. Father, we pray that you just work tonight. Some soul setting in the sound of my voice may trust the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. Simply admitting they're a sinner, unable to save themselves by any amount of good works. Forget the good work trial. You're not going to be able to do it. But you're going to come to Jesus 
as the, as the old songwriter said, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. I'm going to say, Jesus, save me, a sinner. I repent of my sins. I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. Would you save me and forgive me by your shed blood? By all, the Lord Jesus wants to do that. He wants to save you and come to you and give you peace and help you, grow you. We pray, God, that you'd move tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.